again, this is Katie Bullerkintner, and we're back with our next installment of Ghostly Haunts. I want to apologize for being a little late posting this this week. I had a little problem with the computer. I killed it. So, here we are with a new computer, and uh, we're all set to go, we hope. We did change the subject. Pardon me for using the royal we all the time. I'm so used to it with um, the computer and me doing this job together. I haven't named this computer yet, but I think it's going to be Lucifer 2. I was going to talk about a residential we did in Oshkosh, Wisconsin some time ago, but due to the computer problems, I am not going to do that. Instead, we're going to go a little bit further west, a lot further west. We're going to talk about the Mob Museum in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, we're going to take a little uh, information off of Wikipedia. The Mob Museum is officially the Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement. It's a history museum located in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, it features artifacts, stories, histories of organized crime, and oh, gee, they wouldn't know anything about that in Las Vegas. As long as uh, actions and initiatives by law enforcement to prevent such crimes. I don't know if they're real successful or not, but probably so. It's housed in the former Las Vegas Post Office and Courthouse. It's a very strange how those shared space, but I guess it was common. It was built in 1933. It's a gorgeous building. It's on the National Register of Historic Places. Now, it's dedicated to the rather contentious relationship between organized crime and law enforcement within the historical context of Las Vegas and the entire rest of the world kind of ad-libbing on that last part. The centerpiece of the Mob Museum is the second floor courtroom, which was the location of one of 14 National Kefauver Committee hearings to expose organized crime, and these were held in 1950 and The museum, now this is especially interesting to me because it's kind of from my part of the country. The museum also acquired the brick wall where the St. Valentine's Day Massacre took place. Ooh. If you don't know about that, we'll talk about that in a minute. Other exhibits focus on mob violence, casino money, skimming. Oh, they don't do that. They don't do that anymore. Uh, and wiretapping by law enforcement. I'm sure they probably still do that in some way. One of their other exhibits is a gas chamber chair. In 1924, Nevada became the first state to execute a criminal using lethal gas. Yi John, a 28-year-old Chinese immigrant and member of the Tong Organized Crime Group in San Francisco, was the first man to be put to death in Nevada's gas chamber. Now that's lo that was located in the state prison in Carson City. When Nevada built a new gas chamber in 1951, two metal chairs were bolted to the floor. Each chair had slots and brackets through which leather straps were inserted to hold down the prisoner, like, you know, the prisoner's going to get anywhere anyway. Ten men met their end in this gas chamber between 1951 and 1979. The chairs were removed after 1983 and replaced with a gurney for lethal injections. Mm, yummy. One of those metal chairs is on loan from the Nevada State Museum in Carson City, and you can see it right there in the Mob Museum. Now, just get back to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, let's talk about that a little more, a little bit again from Wikipedia. Actually, no, it's not from Wikipedia. This is from the the Mob Museum web, website, and that's also the uh, uh, information about the gas chamber chair was also from the museum website. 
On February 14, 1929, four men entered the SMC Cartage Company garage in Chicago. Seven members of Bugs Moran's gang were lined up against the wall and shot. The men opened fire with two Thompson submachine guns and a shotgun. All seven were shot dead. Investigators recovered shells and bullet fragments from the floor of the North Clark Street garage and organized them in evidence envelopes. The Cook County coroner took a scientific approach to investigating the massacre. He brought in Dr. Calvin Goddard, a pioneer in the new field of ballistics testing. Dr. Goddard was able to prove that no two revolvers are made exactly alike, that every weapon makes characteristic marks on a bullet and a cartridge shell, and that they are the same every time that gun is fired. Testing bullets and shell casings recovered from the crime scene, Goddard confirmed that two Tommy guns confiscated from a hoodlum's house in rural Michigan were used in the massacre. Rural Michigan, that's where my mom's family is from. Has anybody checked the barn? The museum now has these bullet fragments, cartridges, coroner's reports, and more from the massacre. Now... Let's go on to uh, well the items of interest that we have. That, excuse me, that we have here today, and um, I want to tell you a little bit about how I came to be talking about the Mob Museum. Oh, a year or so ago, uh, some friends of mine, friends of mine, and I were permitted to come into the museum after hours and do a ghost investigation. Now we were not allowed to uh, wander around the main exhibits, but we were allowed to go into smaller areas, including the courtroom that we were just talking about here a moment ago. It was pretty interesting. It's, it's um, well, at night it's really dark, <laughs> especially when they don't turn the lights on. So we had to provide our own lighting, but the courtroom itself was, oh man, there was something going on in that place. But there were a number of us in there, so I had to be really careful about what I what I uh, recorded and uh, decided that might have been an EVP, electronic voice phenomena, or even a spirit box voice. I didn't hear audibly anything in that courtroom, but it was really kind of hard to do that because we were kind of spread out, so I couldn't really tell who was talking that was alive and who was talking that was dead. <laughs> so I settled on what I recorded in the recorder. The first one we're going to listen to real quick. There is a story about it, a judge who apparently worked in that courtroom committing suicide. Now, I don't know a year. I don't really know the judge's name. I did try to research it a bit. I couldn't come up with anything, but maybe somebody out, out there listening knows about it. I'd really appreciate knowing who the judge was and uh, when this occurred and why it occurred. You know, the imagination does run wild about murdering judges. You know, it's kind of like uh, my show about uh, oh the uh, secondhand shop in Stoughton, Wisconsin, where the sheriff was pushed. Or did he jump? Did he jump? Was he pushed from the top floor window? Anyway, uh, was the judge murdered? Anything is possible. But maybe this little EVP we got will answer the question. Was it made to look like an accident? Was it made to look like a suicide? So what do you think? Was he murdered 
Or did he really commit suicide? That was a sad voice. That was a sad voice. Now, I just want to remind everybody, when you're listening to these files, be sure to wear a really good pair of headphones. And I'm talking the over-the-ear, covering the whole ear type of headphones, because they really do have a much better response uh, than earbuds or even just the kind of uh, headphones that just sit on top of your ears. Not literally on top of your ears, okay. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's go on. I'm just being silly. Let me go on. It's kind of in the same vein here. We're just asking questions, and I just decided, well, hey, what's your name? You know, so I got, I did ask the question, is, uh, what is your name, please? Something like that. And I got a response on my recorder. Now, you tell me, is he confessing? What's your name, please? Did you hear the answer? Did you hear it? Hear the the man answer me? What I think he said, and I'm I'm just giving my opinion. Everybody who listens to these may actually hear something else than I, other than what I hear, and uh, some of you may not hear anything at all. Remember, you're covering headphones. Come on. I think he said Vince guilty. Now, to me, it doesn't sound like. He's actually saying that somebody named Vince is guilty. It sounds like he's telling me his name, and now he's confessing that he's guilty of what I don't know. Now, I did get some other names, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of funny. When I've done this in other places, I'll ask for names, and usually I don't get anything. But once in a while, I will get answers. And in this case, I actually got two different answers from the same recording when I listened to it at different times. The first time I listened to it, I got a whole bunch of names, you know, you know Ralph Don Joe, whatever. And then when I went to go to get it ready for this broadcast, I'm sorry, I'm married to a radio and TV engineer. Everything to me is a broadcast. But when I was going to prepare for this podcast, I got different names than what I got on the first one. I can't even tell you what the first group of names were, but this time I got some names. So listen to this real, real carefully and see if you don't, if you don't hear at least two names. Okay, what did you think? I think I heard the names Ed and Pete. And maybe another name after that kind of got, you know, messed around with. So Ed, if Ed and Pete were there, and uh, I guess you had things to do, I suppose, in the courtroom. One way or the other, I hope, I hope they weren't uh, getting condemned to the gas chamber. They seemed actually kind of happy. Now, things aren't always happy in the courtroom, as everybody who's ever been in one knows, and I've, I've been in a couple of <clears throat> courtrooms. You know, a lot of times, it's it's people are desperately unhappy, so unhappy. 
and children, they're in there too. It can't be a happy time for anybody. Very tragic in many cases and and upset. You know, you're in a courtroom and bad things are happening. So on this next uh, little recording, I didn't pick this up until I got ready for this show. At first, I thought it said something else. It really didn't make sense. And then when I listened back to it for this show, I listened a little with different headphones, which helps a lot. And um, I don't, you know, it sounded a lot different to me. Now I'm going to insert that right here and give it a listen and see what you think. I'm going to dig for my other flashlight. Okay, did you catch it? I hear what I believe is a woman who is getting sick. And she is saying, I'm vomiting. Could it be that she was in the courtroom? Maybe she was on trial? Or someone she loved was on trial? And she was so upset that she got sick in the courtroom. Oh, it's, I, I would... I might throw up in the courtroom if it was that bad. It's not the, That's not the only kind of tragic one I got. Um, this next one just broke my heart. And um, I'm going to play it for you. A lot of... Okay, I'm going to tell you what I think it's saying. I believe it's a child, and I believe the child is yelling, Father, that just breaks my heart. Can you imagine being in a, in a courthouse with your, with your father? Maybe your father is on trial. Maybe the kid was just, just saw his dad in a hallway and yelled, Father. Or maybe he saw his father being taken away. That's a sad situation. Some of these recordings I got were kind of nonsensical. But if you think about it, maybe they, they make sense. I'm not sure if this is an EVP recording or a spirit box because I didn't make a note of it. So it can be either or. Um Anyway, I'm going to insert this right here, and it sounds kind of dumb to me. Um, see what you think about it. Okay, now, to me, it says something goofy. I don't know what it sounded like to you. And you may have not gotten anything out of it. But I will tell you, after many listens, I think it says something like, shut up, he scoops again. What do you think about that? Now, scooping, in my, in my world, scooping means that somebody got the newspaper story before other reporters did. He got the scoop. So maybe this hotshot reporter has gotten another scoop and everybody's complaining about it. Well, one guy was complaining about it. Anyway, there's another nonsensical one. 
And this one was so darn clear. It was stupid. And again, I don't remember if it's a spirit box voice or if it's an EVP. But it's just dumb. If somebody knows what this word means, I would really love to know about it. So I'm going to stick that in right here and give it a listen. Excuse me. Okay, what did that sound like to you? I have no idea what it means. No idea at all. But to me, it sounds like some guy saying the word schwimmy. <laughs> I think that schwimmy is, a, is sort of an urban dictionary kind of word. I don't know what it really means. But this is not this building hasn't been a courthouse for quite a while so would the courthouse have been in use at the time that this word was in use for whatever it means it's just i would have ignored it except it was so darn clear so anyway that's some weirdness from this uh, courthouse uh i got a couple more we're gonna take a look at or listen to and uh this one, I get this kind of thing a lot personally towards me, but I, I don't think this one was was personal to me. I'm going to have to insert it right here. You, you go ahead and listen to it uh, and see what you think. Who did he kill? Now, what did you think about that one? That guy sounds mad. Uh, to me, it sounds, and it does kind of trail off at the end, so I'm not real sure about this, but it seems, it sounds to me like, you bitch, how'd you do it? I don't think that was directed toward me, which is unusual. Most of the time it's directed towards me. So I, I just don't know. I have no idea. Um, anyway, I'm going to move on and, uh, one last file. And I believe this is a, this is a spirit box file. Uh, I, while I was there, I did get a lot of really strange spirit box things. These were things that you would not expect to hear on commercial radio, but most of them were kind of, you know, you know, they were were words, but you couldn't understand them. This one was real clear. <laughs> and uh, I've said it myself many times when something goes wrong. Um, I'm going to let you listen to it. And, uh, you know, maybe you hear it. Maybe you don't. I forgot the cable that hooks Okay, did you hear that very old and familiar term? What the fuck? <laughs> I say that all the time. And I I said that once in front of my brother, 
Now, I'm I'm almost 70. I'm going to be 70 in about a week, less than a week. My brother's six years younger than me. And he, I said that in front of him. And he looked at me like I had carrots growing out of my ears. He had never heard me say the F word before. It's like, uh, okay, you know, I'm getting up there in age. I've heard the word. I know what it means. So, anyway. He immediately put his carrots back in his ears and we went on with life as it was before. So, what did you think about the Mob Museum? I really liked it. It's really an interesting place to visit. And I think next time I go, I'm going to go during the daytime after all this uh, virus business is over and actually take a, a walk through the whole place. It is really interesting. Lots of pictures. You know, if you don't like graphic uh, murder victim pictures, maybe it's not for you. You know, it's just a fascinating bit of history. And I find it so interesting because I, I grew up in South Central Wisconsin. We were about uh, three hours north of Chicago. And, uh, I mean, John Dillinger was, you know, had that huge battle battle with the FBI in Wisconsin Manitowish, at Manitowish Waters at Little Bohemia Lodge. It's just a little ways north of where we, we uh, grew up, us, us being family members. But uh, these, these gangsters would vacation in Wisconsin. And I often heard stories about how they would come and rent cottages on the lake very near us, you know. And these would not be Al Capone or, or you know, any of the big guys, you know, books ran or any of those. Uh, these would be the middle level guys, you know, the guys that did the scut work. Maybe he, they did the assassinations. Maybe they just drove a car. I had a roommate. Uh, oh, gosh, this would have been around 1970. I had a roommate, a pretty girl, uh, whose boyfriend was from Chicago. And he would come up and visit her driving this huge, I don't know what the heck it was. <laughs> I want to say, to me, it was looked like a Cadillac Eldorado, a great big white car. It could have been a Pontiac, I don't know. But um, he would drive that car. And he was a nice kid. He was good looking. He was very kind. But from what I was told, his father ran a furniture store in Chicago. And apparently, after working for Al Capone for a while, Quite, must have been quite a while. I, I believe he was a driver. <laughs> I don't know if he had a gun. But uh, he, after he decided to retire, or they just decided to let him retire, uh, they, were, he, they set him up at the furniture store. I would hazard to guess that maybe it wasn't just a furniture store, and maybe there was a couple of secret doors in there that led to someplace else. Um, I'm thinking maybe it was a bootlegging operation. Or maybe just a place to stash the bodies until they had time to throw them in the trunk of a car and drive them up to Wisconsin and throw them off at a roadside because Wisconsin at the time didn't have a death penalty. So, and that's my story about the Mob Museum. What'd you think? Now, I'm going to, next time, I'm going to try to do that residential that I promised you. It's really interesting, it's a much smaller than the Mob Museum, obviously. But if you like um, to hear stories about uh, old fur trappers from the early 19th century, late late 18th century, or uh, the bottom half of an Indian wandering around, you might want to tune in. So <laughs> thanks a lot for tuning in again. Oh, I forgot. I was going to tell you where the Mob Museum is, just in case you want to go there. Uh, in Las Vegas, it's at 300 East Stewart Avenue. 
uh, it's just a block or two off the strip. It's really easy to find, actually. And you can also go to their website, which is themobmuseum.org, no spaces, and look up all these things and find out, you know, what's going on with the virus hours and things like that. So once again, this is Katie Buller-Kentner. Uh, I'm with the Wolf River Ghost Society. I am also associated with the Nevada Paranormal Task Force. So uh, they're very busy ghost investigating group out of out of Las Vegas. So hi, Chuck and everybody. Um, and... What else was that? Oh, yeah. And one more time, I am a volunteer with the Beale Street Theater in Kingman, Arizona. That's where I live. We do a ghost walk every fall in October, of course, in October. And uh, I do the research for the ghost walk. And I also will do... During the ghost walks, I'll, I'll do a presentation or I might be, you know, walking behind the herds of people going up and down the streets and trying to keep them together. Uh, if you want to volunteer for that or if you want to just go on the ghost walk, get on our mailing list at BealeStreetTheater.com, B-E-A-L-E-S-T-R-E-E-T-T-H-E-A-T-E-R, that's Okay, dot com. If dot com doesn't work, try dot org, dot org. So I'm sorry, I'm leaning away from the mic. Uh, it's a fun uh, group to uh, get involved with. If you're in the area, you know, come and see our art gallery at the Art Home, which is also the Kingman Center for the Arts. That's down on Beale Street. Uh, our tour will take you through places like a haunted movie theater and a haunted this and the haunted that and haunted haunted everything um <laughs> it's a lot of fun so and it's not too scary but i i recommend that you bring if you're going to bring kids bring kids that don't get scared easily so anyway i have rambled on long enough so you guys have a great week and i will try to get another one out in in a week or two you know, I'm trying to be kind of regular about this, but some days I just, I don't have a chance to do it. Other days the computer explodes. So what what am I going to do? Signing off for now. Y'all have a great time. Stay safe. Keep up that social distancing and put them masks on. You can go around a bank. Have a good one. Bye-bye.